I want to start today by sharing a story. It's one of my favorite stories when I used to work with kids back before I was a minister. It's called The Fox and the Bear and is loosely based on a story from a collection by Margaret Silk. It goes like this. There was once a man who was returning from his travels. As he walked, he found himself in a large forest. He walked and he walked, smelling the pine air, occasionally looking up through the trees to see the sky. He could hear the birds singing around him and the winds rustling through the branches high above. And then, all of a sudden, he heard movement in front of him. He stopped, then started to inch forward, wary. Pushing through the underbrush, he peeked through a clearing, and lying a few feet away was a fox. It was panting heavily, and his foot was stuck in a trap, obviously broken. The man looked at the animal, feeling sorry for it, when all of a sudden he heard more noise, a great rustling and the sound of heavy feet. From out of the trees appeared a gigantic bear, and in its mouth it was holding a bright, shining salmon. The man froze in fear. The bear moved quickly right towards him and the wounded fox. In a few moments, it had reached the clearing. His eyes found the fox and slowly approached where the fox was laying. Reaching him, he opened his mouth and lay the salmon down right in front of the fox. With that, the bear turned around and disappeared back into the forest. The fox immediately began to eat his gift, and the man, still peering in from the bushes, looked in amazement. Wow, he thought, did that bear just give that wounded fox some food? What an amazing thing! God must truly be good to provide for their creatures. The man was thinking about this and got lost so in thought that a few hours passed, and then all of a sudden the bear came back with another fish in his mouth for the, fit, for the fox, and the fox gobbled it down just like before. And then the man got thinking, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I live well. I treat people kindly. If God provides so much for just a little measly fox, just think how much God would provide for me. Maybe I'd get a turkey dinner or lasagna or a pumpkin pie. And so the man decided to find a nice, comfortable place to rest. After poking around the woods, he found a nice bed of moss and laid down. All right, God, he said, I am ready. He waited a few hours for his salmon. His stomach started getting a little hungry. He waited a few more hours, and then he fell asleep for the night. When he woke up, there was no salmon, and he was famished. Still, no salmon or turkey dinner or lasagna or pumpkin pie, and eventually his stomach got so empty, he was so hungry, he packed up his bags and began his journey home again. He was in 
a very disagreeable mood. Annoyed at all the time he had wasted, perplexed why God would treat the fox so much better and more kindly than God treated him. It felt so unfair. As he grumbled, he began to approach a small town. The road made a sharp turn, and as he grew closer, he saw a small child huddled ahead. She was obviously hungry and sick and needing help. The man fought back to the fox in the forest, and he lost his patience. God, what is this? He said, pointing at the child. How can you take care of that small, pathetic, measly fox and then let this child starve? I thought you were a good and loving God. I can understand why maybe you won't help me, but how could you do nothing for her? The man finished his outburst and stomped off down the road. And then, much to his surprise, a beam of light shone down, the clouds opened up, and a voice came thundering from the sky. My friend, said the voice, wait, you did not understand. I did do something. I created you. But instead of imitating the fox, you should have modeled yourself after the bear. Now, I always love this story. Its intended message is powerful, that we should look out for ways to help others, support them, and not see ourselves as helpless. I love the story's charm. I love its honest anger at the injustice of the world, and even God, who it seems sometimes deserves it. I love its call to action. This was a story I told from the pulpit as a religious educator. I told it to kids for a time for all ages when I ran Sunday school programs. I used it interviewing for ministerial positions and in my graduate thesis in divinity school. It was always well received and well loved. There was even a family when I was a religious educator that told me later that after hearing it, they had a serious conversation with their soon-to-be 18-year-old about getting matching bear tattoos when she turned 18. I don't think they did it, but I like that they talked about it. And yet, I realize that I haven't told this story here at Fourth Universalist. For a while, it was just by chance. It didn't seem to fit into the, a service theme or didn't tie into something I was talking about. And so this year, this spring, as I was approaching the end of my sixth year, I felt like I kind of had to use it to take, it, take off the pressure of telling this story. It felt silly to a point to put it off, as if I was saving it for the perfect moment. And so I reread it, hoping it would spark some fresh ideas. But what happened as I read it was unexpected to me. I wasn't sure 
after rereading it, that I wanted to tell it again. Since the last time I told the story, more than six years ago, a lot has changed. All of us in this world have lived through a toxic presidency. We've witnessed the horrors of police brutality and gun violence. We've become more polarized and more angry. Through it all, especially those of us with privilege, have also learned a lot. We've learned about systems and structures of oppression, about microaggressions and the subtle ways that racism and oppression persists. We've learned about how language makes a big difference and how unquestioned assumptions and practices cause harm. And we've learned about how we have to be careful about the stories we tell so we don't perpetuate harmful narratives. I have to admit that the fox and the bear read differently to me six years after I last told it through the lens of the last few years. I felt the sting of discomfort with the fox being presented as helpless or lazy or entitled rather than as disabled, hurting, or just in need of real medical care. I winced recalling the toxic reasoning that divides people into takers and makers, that glorifies charity and philanthropists over systemic change. I cringed a bit knowing how our society denigrates those who need help, who are poor, those without health insurance, who rely on government assistance, presumably like the unenviable fox just might. I wondered about how just because someone's body is hurting or broken, how they are not necessarily helpless or unable to be the bears in their own life. Now, I realize that I may be sounding a bit oversensitive, but these stories do matter because they teach us and our children about who is good and who is not, who we should emulate and who we shouldn't, who we admire and look up to and strive to be like and who we shouldn't be. Stories are gatekeepers for all of us. It was a loss for me personally reading the story again and seeing it with these new, this new lens of recognizing how it gatekeeps those who are able and capable and those who might be struggling as enviable and unenviable. It's painful when something that we love does not always age well, when new wisdom requires us to tell new stories or change the ones that we have always told and always loved. It requires courage to expose our most cherished things to those new truths. How we respond to challenges of new wisdom is so important. It's the difference between being open to other perspectives and remaining the same. Between denying the voices of those who haven't been listened to before and remaining closed to only those who are like us. It's a difference between finding hope and on the unveiling wisdom of the universe and becoming trapped in the politics of grievance and resentment. Now this, I know, is not easy, especially on a personal level for those of us who pride ourselves in being open to change and learning when it hits something near and dear to us or maybe something that is directly about us. One of those moments for me was 
around the class that I've taught here and elsewhere. It's called Building Your Own Theology. Some of you have taken it with me. This is a classic Unitarian Universalist program. It dates back more than 30 years. It explores the big theological questions. God, the afterlife, morality, good and evil. I have taught this program three times while making adjustments to make it my own. The first was an, as an intern at the First Church in Boston. The second time was early on during my time here at Fourth Universalist. And the third time was right before the pandemic. We had our closing dinner the night before we closed down. The first two times I taught this program, it felt to me like a smashing success. Rave reviews all around. At least that's what people told me. But the third time was different. The world had changed by then. The congregation, all of you had changed. And the people in the class and their experiences had changed. But the curriculum had not. I hadn't changed the curriculum. Why, I was asked, as I was teaching it for the third time, aren't we reading more women theologians? Why, I was asked, where are all the BIPOC thinkers and writers in our materials? Why are all the readings and the assignments and the quotes and the thoughts all white men? These were the right questions to be asking. And they were questions that in the other two times of teaching this class, I had never been asked. I'd never asked them myself. I'd never been forced to answer them. I could feel in the moment and afterwards two paths to choose from. One was defensive and resistant, a path that, thought, that sought to justify what I'd always done, to protect a much-loved program, a program that so many other people had loved, so why can't we all keep loving it? Why can't you be grateful that this is a program that millions of UUs have loved? It's a response that would have been grounded in embarrassment at being critiqued, in confusion about not having been asked that question before, and indignation that someone would question this program and, by extension, me and my judgment. The other path, of course, would be to accept a critique and recognize that it was, in fact, correct. To see it not as a confrontation, but actually as an affirmation that the protest was a sign that the congregation and its members had actually grown. No longer could a minister of this congregation get away with teaching a class that privileged a certain way of thinking. Six years ago, they could have, but not anymore. Our congregation had learned to recognize when people were being left out of historical systems and oppressions invade even the most liberal UU settings. They had learned, too, to speak truth to power, even if that power was a well-intentioned but imperfect minister. That is progress, I think. These are two paths that so many of us have to choose from each day. No matter who we are, no matter what field we're in, 
no matter who our friends and our family are. As the world teaches us new wisdom, we have to ask ourselves when we face that choice, will we risk listening to the new wisdom that opens up a different path? Will we be open to change, to the protests, to listening, to the possibility that once was what was once good, what we once loved and maybe still do, needs to change? That it doesn't diminish what was, but that the future calls us to something different. I hope that we will not respond with obstination or anger or resentment. We see too much of that in this world that breeds such negativity, that forces people to feel trapped. I want us to instead be open and grateful that we have been given an opportunity to be better and to learn and to grow with these new truths that bless us as they are unveiled. Take a moment to think about where in your life this might be coming up. How have our changing times challenged you? How have people in your life asked you to listen and choose a different path? What does responding non-defensively look like? We don't have to throw all the old things out, but things shouldn't stay the same, and they won't. We can still imitate the bear and be inspired by his generosity and his action. We can still resonate with the righteous anger against God for letting terrible things happen, which is a feeling that I sure resonate with this week of all weeks. We can still offer building your own theology, but make sure it includes diverse voices, not just because this congregation has changed, but because it's the right thing to do, and we're here to do the right thing. May this truth and our openness to it be our guide and our compass, no matter what it asks of us, no matter the change it demands, so that we, too, are never done with our changes. May it be so, and amen. Reverend Schuyler, thank you for this uh, amazing message today. I, I felt that it really captured uh, the moment perfectly today. Thanks. Thank it's been on my mind for a while. Um, and I know there's a lot going on this week that is in the news and around the country and the world. Um, uh, and so in some ways, it is a, uh, a sermon that was spawned well before any of that happened. But I think it does speak to some of the stuff that's going on um, in the world, too. Right. I mean, I know from conversation with you, it was something you'd been pondering as a, as a sermon for a while, but it really did um, seem to, to line up well. And so this was your last week in the pulpit. So what was the inspiration for this being kind of the, the capstone on the year of, of your sermons? <laughs> well, I don't want to put too much pressure on it for that as if this was a, uh, as you know, we, I had planned to make the Sunday after June 5th, my last preaching Sunday, but because of COVID, we had to move things around. So, um, so this was sort of unintentionally the last, the last one. But I do think that it's something that uh, I've been thinking about for a long time. You know, I used to be in your role in congregations working with children and, and education. 
Um, and part of that, big part of that work for me was, was coming across stories that, um, that could help encapsulate truth um, and the Unitarian Universalist spirit. And this story that I told the fox and the bear was one of those. It was probably my favorite story. Um, and it was always really well received. Um, and, and in some ways, in the last few years, I've been kind of like keeping it in my pocket for like the right moment, the perfect moment, um, which is sort of silly. And I've heard people talk about how like, you, know, you shouldn't, you just shouldn't do that. If you have something, you should use it. Um, and like, but it just never seems to be, never seemed to be needed or like I never seemed to find a spot for it. And it, the other things were, were available to talk with and came about more naturally. Um, and I wasn't a DRE, I wasn't in education anymore. And so maybe that was part of it too. But, but I was, you know, I got back into thinking about it, particularly as I felt, you know, we're finishing my second, my sixth year here. I'm like, why haven't I talked about it? I should just do it, get over with. Um, and then I reread it, and I was like, oh, this is maybe a little bit different than I thought it was. Um, and I don't think it's a bad story. I think it's still powerful in many, many ways. But it was also a reminder for me how much times have changed and how much my perspective has changed uh, and how much the world has kind of forced it to change. And I found that to be interesting in and of itself, right? And, and, and that's something that was I felt like was worth talking about and sharing and, and how... I know that's not just me having these experiences, that a lot of us are having those experiences around, oh, this is what I thought was good or right or true. And now uh, I'm learning, sometimes uncomfortably, that like that is not always what is good. And, I, and I've encountered this a lot around some of these sort of old historic like, wisdom tales that are kind of readapted um, uh, for sort of Western audiences, um, which this one is one of those. Um, uh, that that tend to tend to focus on indi the individual rather than sort of the structural um, power dynamics, frankly, in society. Um, that it's easier to talk about individual failing versus um, the larger dynamics at play. And this is one of those stories. And I was, thought it was important to lift that up and encourage people to think about it in their own lives and where those things happen, where those those changes are pushing them to grow. Makes sense to me. Before I kind of want, I want to dive into that. But what uh, do you have a book that this story came from? Like, where did where did the story originate yes. from? It comes from a, a collection of stories uh, that are readapted from uh, an author, a storyteller called named Margaret Silf, and it comes from her collection, One Hundred Wisdom Stories from Around the World. It's a it's a lovely collection. There's a lot of great things in there. A lot of stories which have, a, I think, a nice little punch, which I think this one does at the end. You know, it's sort of this powerful moment with this guy yelling out to God, as so much of us, so many of us do, right? Particularly in weeks like this, where we see such violence against children that just sound terrible, uh, and it is terrible. And where is God in all of that? And so there was a moment, Ember, when I was thinking about maybe I should just use this story as a story about how we can't just sit by and give thoughts and prayer, that we actually have to act. Because I think there, is, there was another path where that went. Uh, uh, but I also am very hesitant, as you know, to give sermons that are just preaching to the choir. Um, and so we, will have a, we had a moment in our service, we honored those, those who were killed. Um, but I think part of the work of a sermon is to, is to push and challenge and nuance, um, and at times affirm, but uh, I hope we can do that with other, we did that with other parts of the service too. I think that makes sense. Uh, you know, I think about with, uh, with my own kids that uh, whether, whether it's reading a story or maybe it's uh, reading like a Bible story collection that their grandma sent them, 
the, the way that I like, you know, read through it, I'm like, what what is the message that this story is? I mean, which I think it's good. I think that it's good that we're thinking critically about what we're telling our kids about, what we're telling each other about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think thinking critically, we we get very hyped up about cancel culture, but stopping and looking at the messages that we're sending is is a, a good thing, like for us to be growing as people, be growing as a society. These are good things. That's right. And everyone does them, whether you are in the, the left cancel culture community, um, you know, certainly the right, you know, is loves canceling things around critical race theory and, you know, don't say gay laws in Florida. So there's a lot of canceling going on there. Um, but that that phrase has been weaponized, of course. Yeah, I think, you know, to to I think everyone's credit, there is an intentional effort to uh, create a society that reflects values that people hold um, and that is noble uh, at least the intention is noble um, whether it expresses itself uh, through noble principles is another question um, but I think I think that's you know what are we here to do if not to make choices about the kind of lives we want to live the kind of society we want to live in and reflecting on these stories that we tell whether they're for children or for us as adults is super important right um, if it wasn't you can imagine if you're listening to this if I had given a sermon that was told a really terrible story that was super offensive, you know, you'd be mad, uh, as you should rightfully be, right? And so these are just, you know, you know, maybe more nuanced versions of that. But to say that stories don't matter or the stories we tell each other don't matter is clearly, you know, uh, we can push people to tell really bad stories and then they will matter very, very obviously. I mean, so part of the reason at the beginning that I said that I felt like this was perfect for the moment is that uh, the sermon was about, you know, confronting the need for a change in our own life. But, and I mean, you mentioned it a little bit earlier here in regards to the senseless violence. Uh, but we are, whether it's the gun violence, whether it's, um, you know, police brutality, whether it's other issues of white supremacy, or even we see with climate change, which I think you might have a little story, you know, these are things that we have to actually change to confront um, these issues, we we can't just let them continue on as normal. And I think that, um, that that to me is why this message felt perfectly timed because we have to we have to think about society. We have to think about these big changes that have to happen, and we can't keep telling ourselves the old stories. Uh, we have to start doing new things. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that there is something uh, really true about allowing yourself to be changed and recognizing that the status quo, which you've always accepted, which all of us accept to some degree, right? Because we all are raised with some status quo and experience it through our the bubbles that we all live in, that, that there's inherent flaws uh, and, and untruths um, and injustices tied in to the status quo that we may even enjoy and benefit from. Uh, you know, one of the status quo is that uh, I grew up believing around the environment was that like we're we're making progress. The we're everyone's recycling. You know we got uh, we got Captain Planet out there. You know saving the day. Um, adults know what they're doing. Like you know uh, things are are going to go up, and it's clearly that that is not the case. Um, and so if that's not the case, and we trust what the scientists are saying, like we're in a ton of trouble. Um, where it is there's a huge disaster uh, coming towards us, and we're seeing the beginnings of that. 
Um, and so we have to adjust then, challenge ourselves to sit a bit in the discomfort, right? To, to challenge our sense of like, oh, well, I'm okay. Or like, oh, I will, you know, I live in a place where I'm not affected by this, or I'm not going to be, you know, running out of food uh, because of climate, probably because, you know, Americans live in a wealthy country that will use its power internationally to ensure we are fine, um, at least for a time. Uh, but these are all things that that require us to to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable and be changed from external sources. And that's part of what being a Unitarian Universalist is about, right? We, we, we are not a faith tradition that, that rests in the status quo, but, but when new truths come out, when other new perspectives appear, we have to take those seriously um, and then actually adapt and change and be changed by them. Otherwise, otherwise we're just serving ourselves in our own comfort. Um, and so I tried to model that a little bit, you know, with my stories in this service. But I think it, you know, it's true certainly with people who struggle with things like Black Lives Matter, with phrases like white supremacy, um, with being asked to use their pronouns. Um, these are these are little uh, little examples that aren't so little, right? Um, because they they speak to our willingness to have new truths revealed to us and actually accept them as part of someone else's experience. Um, and uh, and adjust from whatever our own perception was, if we are resistant to those things initially. I think that 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 seems like a, an excellent place to wrap up, um, Reverend Schuyler. Thank you for the, the great message, but also for this uh, time to sit down and discuss a little bit. Thanks, Ember. And uh, I know we're all looking forward to next week for the Religious Education Sunday, where the youth will be leading us. Um, sharing some of their wisdom and thoughts too and I imagine that they will be invited to share here too so um, who could be better to hear than them so thanks Ember <laughs>